0: Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You
1: know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada.
0: Or your grandma here with us, making carne
1: asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona?
0: And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: All right Hannah, you there? I'm here. All right.
3: There are 15 million high school students in the U.S. and every single one of them is facing the challenges of learning from home. Every single school district is trying to figure out the best ways to teach them, to support them, and to grade them. The SATs are on hold, ACTs are on hold as well, but days from us recording this 3.4 million students are going to be taking a test that is not administered by their teacher they're going to be taking one of the 38 ap advanced placement exams they're going to take them from home online and what is usually a three hour exam that students have prepped a year or at least a semester for is gonna be 45 minutes. Yikes! And one of those courses is AP US Government and Politics. And you and I have had the benefit of meeting many, many wonderful APGov teachers at conferences and at events over the last few years. And I've always had this uh, insatiable, almost morbid curiosity about this super challenging class. What's taught in it? What's the exam like? Could I pass it?
4: Do you think you could?
3: Oh, absolutely not. This is Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm
4: Hannah McCarthy. And
3: today we're doing a special episode on the AP U.S. Government and Politics exam with a focus on this year's take-home test. Monday, May 11th, 4 p.m. Eastern. I spoke with three AP Gov teachers who told me what the questions are like on it, the foundational documents that are required reading for the course, And finally, just some tips for taking it this year.
4: All right, hold on. Before you get into the specific exam this year, what does advanced placement mean?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, These are classes that you could take in high school that sort of roughly mirror an undergraduate college course. Uh, They are, frankly, challenging. The exam at the end of the year is scored on a scale of one to five, and if you get a three or higher on it, You could earn college credit. This could save you money and time in college. Uh, An AP score can also help you apply to college. It can help you get a scholarship. But it is a depth of political study that I never had in high school.
5: Kids that are taking the AP U.S. government uh, and politics class, mom or dad or whomever, you know, they have a, a they're having dinner while we're, you know, Social uh, distancing, and we're all cooped up, you know. And, and they start having these philosophical questions. Maybe they're watching the news. You know, these kids can chime in with answers and say, "Well, no, actually, it says you know, Constitution says this." Uh, my name is Ryan Warenka. I teach uh, AP U.S. Government and Politics at Troy High School in Troy, Michigan, and uh, I am excited to say that I was accepted to be an AP reader for this year. Uh, so I haven't read the exam yet, but I have taught AP U.S. Government and Politics for many, many, many years. Uh, and have relationships with readers and, and have a pretty good understanding of what they're looking for.
4: What are readers?
3: These are several hundred teachers who read and score the exam. And since they teach their own classes, they are not given the test in advance as they could give their students a bit of an advantage. The questions on the exam are a big old secret.
4: So how are they going to take the test this year?
3: Well, in a non-Corona world, students across America would normally sit for about three hours and take this exam. And it had multiple choice sections and about four FRQs, which are free response questions, essays, basically. But that's not how it's going to go down this year. Multiple choice is gone. It's going to be in its entirety two free response questions in 45 minutes.
4: Two questions. All right. What kind of questions?
3: Here's Ryan again. Yep.
5: So the first free response question is the, uh, the argument essay, and that'll be 60% of the exam. And then the second one is the concept application question, and that will be uh,
3: 40% of the exam. All
4: right. Take me through these. Uh, let's start with that argument essay.
3: You got it. As an example, here's last year's prompt. The United States Constitution establishes a federal system of government. Under federalism, policymaking is shared between national and state governments. Over time, the powers of the national government have increased relative to those of the state governments. Develop an argument about whether the expanded powers of the national government benefits or hinders policymaking.
4: Good Lord!
3: Develop an argument, and the students have to use evidence from specific documents to back up their claims. And they explain why that evidence supports their thesis and respond to a hypothetical opposing perspective. I know I'm sounding a bit wordy. here.
4: Yeah, you kind of do. uh, But at its core, these are not just skills for taking a test, right? These are massively helpful critical thinking skills. Like make a claim, back it up with evidence, consider other sides to an argument.
3: Yeah, if we could just do this for everything.
4: Okay, so what are the documents that they have to know?
3: Okay, here's Jim Kelly, he teaches AP Gov at Timberline Regional High School here in New Hampshire. There
1: are a list of nine foundational documents that College Board gave all of us at the beginning of the year that we needed to focus on.
3: Nine! Are you ready for this list,
1: Frodo of the Nine?
4: That ring's not gonna throw itself into the volcano.
1: Here we go! One, the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration will be a triumph, I tell you, a triumph!
4: Right, of course, the greatest breakup letter ever written. An ordinance of secession, a masterclass in political philosophy.
3: Yeah, it didn't just create us, it laid the foundation for popular sovereignty. That is a term that means the government is created by people, and its job is to serve those people.
2: The Declaration. I mean, I see the Declaration as a why. I, I teach it as, you know, like it frames the Constitution. It tells us what animates us.
3: This is the inimitable Jennifer Hitchcock, by the way. She teaches Gov at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia. She is also a reader. She has dozens of wonderful online classes on YouTube. They're one of the best resources I have seen out there to prepare for the test.
2: So if we're thinking of like the essence of what it is to be in a democracy, even though like, you know, I, I, I personally question, <laughs> to what extent are we a democracy? Like, that's my enduring question for life. is <laughs> like, are we really?
1: Okay, on to number two. Two, the Articles of Confederation.
4: Our first rule book.
3: Yeah, our first constitution. And something, frankly, we are thinking a lot about in the age of Corona, powers of the states and governors versus federal powers and presidential powers in times of an emergency. Um, the Articles of Confederation gave enormous powers to the states with a very weak federal
1: government.
2: So I give the article short shrift.
1: But that doesn't mean you have to. Three, the Constitution of the United States. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But if you're looking at the Constitution and you want to know what specifically to focus on before you take the test, Jim had some advice.
1: I strongly recommend going back into the constitutional clauses that I'm sure students have uh, gone over with teachers if they haven't yet. You know, even just a quick uh, Google search of most important or key constitutional clauses would be very important. Go through, review those and even make like two column notes with clause and explanation of clause, amendment and explanation of amendment. Go right back through that. I think that's very important. Take a look at uh, different actions that Congress takes, uh, different uh, responsibilities of Congress, and you know, just being clear with that. Even though it seems like common sense, I don't think it's it's a bad idea to go back and brush up on some of those like common sense concepts that you, that you might know.
3: I'm not going to make a joke about a sanity clause, so let's get on to number four. Four
1: Federalist Number Ten. All right,
4: we've got our first Federalist paper. One of the 85 essays that were written to convince New York, and then later the whole country, that the Constitution should be ratified. Yep,
3: Fed 10 is one of the most famous ones. It is by James Madison, and it is all about factions. That is the magic word, factions. Large groups that have got different interests. And the two big ones that he was referencing were property owners and non-property owners.
4: AKA rich people. And poor people.
3: Yes, and this paper, calms the fears of wealthy people that the non-wealthy will make all the decisions because they're in the majority, right? Because unless we give everyone the same exact amount of money, Madison says that factions are unavoidable. He says, quote, liberty is to faction what air is to fire, end quote. If you're a free republic, it's gonna happen. But the fact that there are several factions that compete, that's what's gonna keep us clear of tyranny in the United
1: States five, Brutus number
4: one. Okay. I have a vague sense of Brutus one, but I gotta be honest. I am not super familiar with it.
1: Yeah.
3: Brutus one all about it. I did not learn it in school. I had never read it and it is wonderful. It is an anti-federalist paper. And the cool thing is it came out a few weeks before the first federalist paper, Brutus, which is a pseudonym of an anti-federalist. He laid out all of the arguments for why the constitution should not be ratified said the federal government proposed within it was too powerful Uh, the states were too weak Brutus one is an argument for a confederation style of government not a republic and uh, Brutus says that previous republics like Greece and Rome they ended up in tyranny so why should we try it here and because it came out earlier it's like a setup it's like the setup for the spike of the Federalist papers Hamilton Madison and Jay's 85 essays are a response 85 responses to the concerns of Brutus.
2: For me in particular, Brutus can go almost anywhere. And I think that it almost gets short shrift. Like we talk so much about the Constitution. You know, Brutus opens the door to so many different routes. He opens the door to... Declaring that perhaps, perhaps, perhaps perchance our founding fathers were elitists. He opens the door to, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if we had more participatory government? I almost use Brutus as an outline in my own class. My kids will go through and they'll annotate, here's his argument. And then we come back and say, what did the founding fathers say in response? Like what was, like each Federalist paper is a response to Brutus. It's the cleanest, most comprehensive argument against the Constitution.
1: Six, Federalist number 51.
2: I know this one. This is Madison again. This is
4: the Federalist paper that defends a government with separated powers consisting of three branches that check each other at every turn. It's the one where Madison says that if men were angels, no government would be necessary.
3: It is also about factions and the fear of an overpowerful majority. Uh, he says, quote, society itself will be broken into so many parts, interests, and classes of citizens that the rights of individuals or the minority will be in little danger from interested combinations of the majority.
0: Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is time.
4: I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan.
0: Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars. But as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hey
3: there everyone. Hey folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch.
4: That is the largest employer in the world.
3: And a lot of those people work in the civil service where... After the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job.
4: But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed.
3: 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites.
4: 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use it the better it gets.
3: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash civics.
4: Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast.
3: Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire.
1: You need Indeed. I'll cut that. Seven. Federalist number 70.
4: Finally. Alexander Hamilton comes out, right? Yes,
3: we've had a lot of Madison now. uh, But Hamilton's Federalist 70 is the one that supports a strong executive branch. Quote, energy in the executive is the leading character in the definition of good government, end quote. Uh, And Hamilton argues for a unitary executive. That is um, that the president is in charge of the whole executive branch, the whole shebang. It prevents against legislative encroachments.
1: Eight. Federalist number 78.
4: Oh, this is your favorite.
1: I do like this one.
3: And it's Hamilton again uh, because it's about the powers of the judicial branch. Some of Hamilton's points are that the judicial branch has, quote, no influence over either the sword or the purse, end quote. Uh, he argues that lifetime appointments of federal judges secure justice. And finally, in Federal 78, he outlines the process of judicial review, that federal courts are the ones who should determine if laws are constitutional or not. This is a principle upheld in the delightful court case Marbury v. Madison,
1: 1803. And nine, a letter from Birmingham jail by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
4: Letter from a Birmingham jail, something written in the mid 20th century, is a foundational document.
3: I know, right? I was taught that document in English class. It was about like how to make an argument, not a civics class. Dr. Martin Luther King was arrested on April 12th, 1963 for parading without a permit in Birmingham and a group of eight white clergymen from Alabama wrote a statement titled, A Call for Unity. letter from a Birmingham jail is a response to that statement and his arrest, and it is a bedrock document for civil rights and for the idea of nonviolent protest. It is a foundational document because it lays out a reasoning and a process for the people to push back against unjust laws. There are dozens of excellent lines from it whenever you look for summaries on it every teacher says just read it you just got to read the whole thing uh, one great line is quote, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor it must be demanded by the oppressed
2: you know it's funny when they came out and said that, that they were going to put this onto their documents i think a lot of people were flabbergasted and they saw it as a historical document or uh, you know, a piece of rhetological argumentation. And I, I understand where they're coming from. But there are so many just amazing corners of that document that I just want to sit in and think about. Once the kids see that, it allows them to walk into making connections with other groups, both then and now, you know, like, I want to talk about how this connects to Black Lives Matter. I want to talk about how this connects to the Port Huron Statement. I want to talk about how this connects to, you know, the environmental movement. Like, how are we using this as a way to delegitimize groups that are external to power structures?
4: So I'm presuming that these students know these documents really well by the time they take this test. Can they, like, reference them? Can they have them out in front of them.
3: Yeah, in previous AP exams, you had to have that all memorized, and it all be in your noodle. But due to the test being taken at home, it is an open book test. You can have these documents at hand. However, Jennifer had some strongly worded advice about this.
2: I know that I'm gonna be telling my own my own friends, my 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 best friends in education, my students this year, that I want them to turn everything off. Like, don't have a cell phone out, don't have your books out. It's a just, just it's a distraction. And you won't you won't be able to turn the corner in 25 minutes with all of that stuff there. It really is just can you create a claim, give evidence that supports that claim and give great commentary that will connect your evidence back to whatever position you've taken on the prompt.
3: Those minutes are gonna go by fast. Jennifer uh, filmed herself taking a practice exam under the new rules for this year.
2: I laughed on the camera last week because so I was like, it is way more stressful than it looks, especially like when you're doing it live, my handwriting fell apart. I mean, I was just like, oh my God, everyone's judging everything that I'm saying. Like, they're like, that's not what that said. It's It, it sounds a lot easier than it is.
3: You do though, want to have whatever notes and outlines you yourself have prepared with you. That is a must.
4: We've talked a lot about the first essay here, not much about the second.
1: What is it called?
3: It's a concept application question. It's 40% of your grade, it's 15
1: minutes. Mm -hmm. So the concept application question uh, presents the students with an authentic scenario and assesses their ability to explain the effects of a political institution, behavior, or process, and then transfer their understanding of course concepts and apply them in a new situation or scenario. For example,
3: uh, last year's concept application question was fascinating. It was about a hypothetical, super conservative religious group and their constitutional rights regarding challenging part of a tax law. Uh, Ryan Warenka had some tips for this, which also can kind of apply to the argument question as well. The thing I picked up
5: at a, um, an AP teacher seminar uh, was a little acronym. It was APBS. It's not what you think, right? It's, uh, it stands for answer the prompt and be specific. You know, if we're doing that, it's giving us a very specific thing. Let's make sure that our answer is relating back to what the prompt is asking us and then provide specific
3: information.
4: A.P.B.S.
3: Answer the prompt. Be specific. Uh, Last year's essay about the religious group, the first question was describe an action Congress can take to address the concerns of the interest group in the scenario. Mm -hmm. So so Congress could pass a law. So describe it. Congress could pass a law reversing the Johnson Amendment. Answer the prompt. Be specific. Another handy acronym Ryan told me about is RSVP. Uh, Where RSVP
5: is restate the language of the question uh, in your answer and vanish the pronouns. They did this. Who? It did that. What? Make sure the Supreme Court decided this or James Madison wrote that or Alexander Hamilton was really bad at duels. I think those are the things that are going to help an AP reader to know this that you know your stuff, that you know your content and you know how to apply it.
2: One of the things that I see is that kids will use things like legislature a lot or courts. You as the writer have to do all the heavy lifting to show me that you know that the state legislatures are the ones who have the authority to redistrict and draw maps. If you say legislature, I have to do too much inference, right? Like I'm like, which legislature? Cause it ain't gonna be Congress. Pronouns are like, Devil's playground, just don't use them. Don't say he, don't say she, don't say they, don't say it. Like repeat, repeat, repeat. Proper nouns are preferable. Active voice and past tense is preferable. Just clear, crisp statements, very factual statements. uh, Short, to the point, get it done.
3: Oh, Jennifer gave me another tip on this one. Whenever you see the words original constitution.
2: That is like a red flag. Like red flag goes up and you should know Immediately, we're talking 1789, no constitutional amendments. You have to think about what the framers' arguments were. Don't get bogged down on what we've, what we've evolved to.
3: And second, and Jennifer framed this specifically as an equity issue, because access to technology and Wi-Fi is a big problem in the country, especially now. But she said, if you can take the test on a computer with the keyboard. If you don't have one, if you know someone who's got one, borrow it. Write down the password to log into the computer on a piece of paper. Leave nothing to chance. But if you can't, if you don't have access to a computer, do your best on a phone. And also if you prefer, students can write their answers on paper and upload photographs of them, Um, but they're only given exactly five minutes to do that. So whatever your plan is, practice it beforehand so you're not stressed out. Because One universal thing that all three teachers told me was not just good luck, but you've got this.
5: All the students that are taking this on, I know this is a a challenging time and a challenging class, and this certainly has made things easier, but you guys are rock stars. You are are a good example for all of us, and I wish you the best of luck.
1: We know how stressful this is, so we get it, but we also know that you guys are gonna do awesome on the exam this year, and just, Go for it and do the best that you can. To
2: all of my new friends who are taking this course with me, I'm, I wish you the very best of luck. And to my class of 2020, my colonials, my heart is with you as you sit down for this and you walk straight into the doors of where of our future, trying to solve all of these issues with us, for us, all of those things.
4: It is an intense class. It sounds like a really intense exam. Uh, But whether you take this test or not, these concepts and these documents would give anyone a fantastic education on us. America is about arguments. It's about discussions with evidence and rebelling and resisting and compromising and refusing to compromise.
3: Yeah. We call our show The Basics of How Our Democracy Works. And I'm just grateful to have taken a peek behind the curtain of Civics 202. So good luck out there. Well, that will just about do it for today. This episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, with you, Hannah McCarthy. Thank you.
4: Our staff includes Jackie Fulton, who says sovereignty is just a popularity contest.
3: Eric Janik is our executive producer, who could cut a three-hour test into about seven minutes.
4: Maureen McMurray took her AP with a quill fashion from a turkey feather and never stops talking about it.
3: Music in this episode by Moore and Gardner. They're doing this jaunty rag you're hearing right now. Also by Unkin, Tone Ranger, Ikimashu Oi, Blue Dot Sessions, Broke for Free, Glad Rags, Inequalis, Sarah the Ilsterman, List, and the artist pick that's never risky, Chris Zabriskie.
4: Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.
3: Do you know about the sanity clause in the Constitution? No. You can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause.
4: Oh, that's
0: good. <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader
2: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about
5: work